Welcome to Restoration Basics. This is the preparatory podcast where we go through the scriptures chapter by chapter. Sorry, I did not mean to That's something that we do. <laughs> I did not mean to enunciate it like that. Uh, we're going through the Book of Mormon chapter by chapter right now. Uh, my name is Samuel Jordison. I'm joined by two others. Andrew Smith. Jason Kane. And right now we're in the second book of Nephi. We just got done with chapters 9 through 11. So we're sitting here at chapter 12. This is an interactive study. for So for any of you guys who are, are just listening for the first time or maybe have been listening for a while, uh, we appreciate any comments or you know questions. Or if you want to be a guest on the show, just please, we're, we'd be happy to have anyone on. And maybe you can give some insight that we don't have. So again, interactive study means I guess we're all involved. That includes the listeners. So... Um, we'd want to encourage you, if you come across something in this episode or past episodes, um, just let us know, and and we'd appreciate that. Setting the stage for chapter 12, Nephi uh, just got done kind of giving them the story of, of Jesus and, and basically told us, the reader, uh, now he's talking to his people, but he it tells the us um, that they knew of Jesus Christ and they had a hope of him. All these years ago, six hundred some years, five hundred eighty, whatever you wanna, you wanna say before before Christ. So here are these people of the house of Israel who know with the surety Jesus Christ. They know He's coming. They're looking forward to Him. And now, Jason, would you just give us a sum up of of why Chapter Twelve is a little bit different and what it entails? Uh, chapter Twelve kind of talks about the topic of churches in the future um, or current that you kind of have to be wary of um but the main the main theme at least here in the beginning is kind of um, apostasy and what churches could end up looking like such as you know turning away from the holy spirit leaning on your own understanding stuff like that but, yeah. and we had a chance before before we hit record to look up the definition of a apostasy so we got it we got an exact Two definitions here, an act of refusing to continue to follow, obey, or recognize a religious faith, or two, an abandonment of previous loyalty. The The subheading for my chapter 12 says, Nephi is prophesying of apostasy in the last days and the gathering of God's covenant people. So we're going to hit on both of those topics, I'm sure. Before the show, we have a chance to sit down and kind of talk about what we read individually and what verses stuck out to us. And then we kind of list those verses. So I'm just going to, I gave you a little bit of an insight on how we do things. So giving our sec- trade secrets away. But the first verses we have set up are five and six. And I believe that was Andrew. And so can you tell me just when you were reading this chapter, what stuck out to you? And what do you get from that? Yeah, sure. When when Jason was summing up the chapter, he, he used the term that I'd like to use, um, what apostasy looks like in the church. Um, but in five and six, it it. It really specifically is what apostasy looks like in each of us. And so if we are to, you know, just like how Zion starts in in one person's heart, you know, you have the kingdom here first and then Zion comes later. Apostasy as a church doesn't start as a church. It, it starts in your heart. And, and so uh, verses five and six kind of lead up to how apostasy can show up in the church and kind of the, the signs and symptoms of of that apostasy. And it says, they shall contend with one another and their priests shall contend with one another and they shall teach with their learning 
They deny the Holy Ghost, which giveth utterance. They deny the power of God, the Holy One of Israel, and they they say unto the people, hearken unto us and hear our precept. And And I think it's just really interesting from my perspective, I guess, is that this is one of those signs of apostasy that the people are going to contend with one another. The priesthood are going to contend with one another. They're going to teach from their own learning with specifically says they'll deny the Holy Ghost with which giveth utterance. They're they're not going to teach with the spirit, you know, and and so it, it's, it's really scary when we have lots of younger people, not just younger people, uh, uh, just a lot of people in the church kind of falling away because they say, well, I'm, not, I'm just not feeling the spirit on a daily level, you know, at, at churches I go, the, the sermons, it's nice, but I just don't feel the spirit. And so it, it's just something to, you know, watch out for is that we have to always be dependent on that spirit. Otherwise we lose who we, who we really are, our identity in Christ. Um, so what do, you, what do you say to people when they say I've been losing, I just don't feel the spirit anymore when I, cause I know people that have stopped going to restoration based churches, not just restoration branches, but maybe, you know, um, RLDS or, or base branches that say, well, we're not getting fed. That's a, that's a common saying. I think when people leave, they say, we're not getting fed. I think, um, if you're going to church to get fed, you're going most of the times for the wrong reason. You know, uh, I find in my own life that I am fed most when I'm trying to feed others. And it doesn't come through me giving all of my vast knowledge which isn't there you know it's not because i have so much to give that that's why i get fed like i'm so fulfilled because i have so much to offer it's not that at all it's it's that when you um feed his sheep as he's asked us to he brings a fulfillment into your life that is that's more than that we could ask for and i guess that's just my point of view well i think along those lines is you can't feed the sheep of your own volition i i I don't know because you're broken and i'm broken and so how could i fix you in my own (laughs) in my own state i mean there might be things humanly i can answer your questions or give you logistics but i mean the true fulfillment comes from christ and if you're feeding the sheep then you're i don't know how how it works is god uses you as his tool to minister to others and then you're fed through that right And, and that phrase you know feed his sheep comes from you know the story of Jesus sitting around with his disciples and you know he's like uh, Peter you know, do you love me and he's like of course I do and he's like well feed my sheep and say it multiple times and so it's not do you love me get fed it's do you love me feed my sheep and so it makes it the responsibility of everyone to give of themselves and and like you said, the fulfillment will come from Christ. Like you don't necessarily get that fulfillment of, you know, when you're in the service of someone else, um, you know, sometimes you get momentary happiness because you made someone else feel good. But if we all went to you know, church every Sunday and said, you know, how can I make everyone's day better? Then we'd be in a whole different spot. Because if you're saying I'm not being fed, then you're putting all the focus on you and saying it's everyone else's fault that my spiritual life isn't where it's supposed to be. And that's not what it should be. Uh, we're supposed to not be selfish. We're supposed to not be prideful. And yeah. There's a, a quote from a TV show that I just watched. Um, and in it, he says, if you're searching for truth, you'll find 
comfort. If you're searching for comfort, you'll never find truth. And that's mm-hmm. and that's the same thing mm-hmm. here is that if you're searching to be fed, you won't be. But if you're if you're searching to to feed, to love, that's that's when you'll actually find comfort. So I hear I hear you both and but I do want to mention and kind of toss in the ring that we have individuals who maybe are very broken and aren't at a place where they can feed others or even help others, maybe due to financial or emotional or spiritual reasons. And, uh, and I wouldn't ever want to say, I mean, you, you do get, I'm, I'm with you, Angie, that, and, and Jason, that when I'm, when I'm more about, Hey, let's, let's do something about it. Let's be active and, and feed the sheep. Let's love people that I get fed. But I also know that there's some people who, who aren't able to do that sometimes. And they rely a lot on God's servants, following through and i don't think that it's a sin or i don't think it's wrong i'll say that that they aren't out of a place to help because there's because since they're at a place to not not be able to help themselves that provides an opportunity for others to help them so i wouldn't completely say that if you want to be there is a there is a i think there is a genuine part that can say well i'm not getting fed here because it's possible for you to not get fed and then it's up to the other people to step up almost in a way yeah yeah, I think that's definitely... I don't know if that made sense, but... No, it's it's definitely true. I think that's the exception to the rule, you know, most of the time, though, is that there are those people, but more generally... Um, I, I think God still expects things from broken people. And that's not to say that everyone... It, it's not to say that people should hold the same standard... Um, that God has of each person, you know, we, we need to show grace to other people when they're struggling and really, you know, try and pick up the slack if, if there is some there and it's just, everyone's responsible. You know, there, there are going to be those people who can't serve, who can't, who just aren't in that place where they can help others because they can't even help themselves. And, And there definitely should be the responsibility of, other members, other priesthood members to be led by the spirit and see what they can do. But it definitely, if a majority of everyone is doing that, then I think as a whole, your church and branch or whatever is going to be in a better place. If everyone be spiritually healthier. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll be a much healthier place because like Andrew said, it would be the exception to the rule where it's like, Oh, we recognize that these people are struggling, but are you going to recognize if people are struggling if you're only thinking of yourself? And so it, it all kind of melds together in this big thing, but it, it's there still needs to be a lack of you're just in it for yourself to be, you know, fed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think back to the children of Israel and when they're um, confronted with the flying serpents, you know, they're being bit and everything, and and these are people that were brought to their knees and in pain and sickness and all these different things and flying serpents. And, um, <laughs> yeah. And, and not, none of us, I guess I can't speak for all of us, but I've never been confronted with a flying serpent, you know? Um, and when it comes, uh, in my mind, that's kind of like the low 
of Lowe's, you know, like you're just there and snakes are flying everywhere and they're just biting people left and right, you know, and <laughs> and what other choice do you have? Like, how can you help somebody in that instance? Because you aren't even safe. But the the thing is that J- Jesus died so that we would always have a choice. And even in our hardship, we always have the choice to look to him. And so while you're, you may not be expected sometimes to save people, because I don't think Jesus or God expects that of us. Uh, I mean, how could he? Because we, we, we fall short, you know, but we do have an expectation to point people to Christ, even in our weakness, even in our brokenness. So even while we're being bit by those snakes, if we're not looking towards um, the thing that will heal us so that other people will understand like, oh, this is safety, this is good, then, I mean, I think we're falling short, you know, so. And I'm not trying to discount people who do have way worse struggles than I do. Yeah, absolutely. But the thing is, everyone is broken. Everyone has issues. And some people definitely have way worse than we do. But the expectation is kind of still the same. And I don't want to, you know, enforce that to other people as a human. I leave that up to God and, you know, his judgment and his will. But I, I think even in our worst times, we're still like, you know, how do we find safety with the serpents is just, you know, looking to Christ. And so the call's the same, just everyone has different situations. And I know that, but yeah. You know, we, you know how sometimes in the church, we kind of get our own verbiage and, um, and then it means something to everybody in the, in the church. But then if you bring a friend in, they're like, I don't know what that, <laughs> what, yeah. uh, yeah. I, I can't think of an example right now, except the one I'm thinking of. And so when you say point to G point to Jesus with our actions, and I've wanted to kind of dissect this for a little bit because I, I was thinking about it. And then Sunday, uh, in the sermon they mentioned, you know, they say we're supposed to point to Jesus and I understand it. Like in my mind, even though it necessarily doesn't come out in words, easy to under, I don't know if I had to write an essay on it, I'd probably be fine. But if I had to put it in a simple sentence, I don't know what I did. So what does it mean to you? If someone came up to you and says, what does it mean to point to Jesus? What would you, what well, do you say? mean like personally or like pointing other people to Jesus pointing other people to, like when someone says, right. Hey, your actions are supposed to point other people to Jesus. Right. So when I think of that, I just think of being an example of righteousness and not being afraid to say where your joy comes from because people can see, oh, that's a really good person. But if they don't know that you're happy because of Christ, then who cares? But yeah, just just kind of being an example of what Christ would be and um, act in certain situations and also sharing with others that this joy that you have is from the Lord. We read earlier uh, a scripture that said all things are typifying of Christ. That's the first thing I thought of is that it just just as a reminder, typifying is you remember the definition you had. It was like a representation of the person who created it. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. Who who did yeah, yeah. it? You're not that. like a good point. trying to recreate it, but you're trying to you're you're a representation of that person, and mm-hmm. I feel like that's what we should be. You know. All things were created as a typifying of Christ, and we are included of all things. I mean, we are supposed to be a typifying of Christ. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to that makes point him. 
And may, you know, maybe yeah. we talked about this when we talked I, about the title. I don't think so, I don't but it was a good clarification. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a good way to wrap it all back up to a previous chapter. And I we already 15 minutes in, so we don't want to spend too long on on one verse, but we're going to move it all along. And we the next verse um, we have down is 12 through 16. And so this kind of explains what a church in apostasy shows, kind of similar to five and six, but I'll, I'll just read those few verses. And it says, yea, and there shall be many which shall teach after this manner, false and vain and foolish doctrines, and shall be puffed up in their hearts and shall seek deep to hide their counsels from the Lord. And their works shall be in the dark and the blood of the saints shall cry from the ground against them. Yea, they have all gone out of the way. They have become corrupted because of pride and because of false teachers and false doctrine. Their churches have become corrupted and their churches are lifted up because of pride. They are puffed up. They rob the poor because of the fine, because of their fine sanctuaries. They rob the poor because of their fine clothing and they persecute the meek and the poor in heart because of their pride and they are puffed up. They wear stiff necks and high heads. Yea, and because of pride and wickedness and abominations and whoredoms, they have all gone astray, save it be a few who are in the, who are the humble followers of Christ. So I basically wanted to talk about this of just what is the source of the church getting to this point? Like, and, and it says it in there is pride, but how can we avoid going down that path of being so prideful and basically hiding our own actions from God and wanting to basically create our own doctrine and just not being led or, you know, all that. Man, that's, that's tough for me because I like to think that everyone is, well, I know that there's bad people, but I, I like to think that most people have good intentions. And so when I know that, yeah, a lot of the time it's the leaders of the, the churches or what, the branches or whatever trying to do their best, but still kind of leading the branch into a, uh, or a ch- the church into a puffed up state of pride, full state. And then because they love themselves so much, they are unable to, to really do the work that God has called them to do. So when I think of how do you stop yourselves from falling down that, uh, <laughs> that rabbit hole of a well let me let me say this that it's been prophesied that it will happen so there's nothing we can do to stop it that people are going to be mm-hmm. doing it no matter what um the hope that you have in this comes at the very end where it says there are a few save it be a few who are the humble followers of Christ and there's where if it's going to happen no matter what <laughs> like your goal um, should be to be the humble followers of Christ. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I mean, there's gonna, you're not gonna be able to do anything to stop it. You're just gonna have to make sure that you are somehow, and not somehow, but you are a humble follower of Christ. And um, that starts with we've talked a lot about it, but humility. And we've talked about how you can't really. I think we've talked about it. You can't humble yourself. It has to be done through, through God. Um, it's like an oxymoron. It's an oxymoron, right? You can't. There's nothing you could do. Because even when you're like humbling yourself, you're like, wow, I'm so good at humbling myself. Yeah. <laughs> I am the most humble man there is. Um, but um, that whole, that that all rests on fully relying on God. 
and fully relying on God rests on knowing God because you cannot fully rely on him if you don't know who he is or know his voice or know what he's called you to do. And so we, we talk about knowing God, it's keeping his commandments. Um, and then that can even be boiled down further to love the Lord your God and love your neighbors like that. And that's where I really think where I really think um, the church gets caught up is because somehow because we're in the church, because we've gotten baptized and hands have laid on us and, you know, maybe we've been in the church since we were eight or maybe we're new converts and we've got it figured out. And so somehow or for some reason, certain sins don't apply to us because we're okay. Like we've got the bases covered and that's where the problems start because then, you know, the lust comes in, the greed comes in, the, the gossiping, the backbiting comes in because it's okay. We're all, we're all, we're all good people, but we're not, we're not, we're not letting ourselves be perfected in Christ. And we, and we don't really, as a basis, keep the commandments that God has called us to keep. And then you get a prideful and you get a puffed up people because they can't help themselves. And that's the same with me. Like I've been, I've actually been noticing, I took a class a long time ago, one of the internship classes when I was in the Book of Mormon internship about repentance. And, um, and I don't want to say necessarily I've been doing this, keeping the homework that the class assigned, but in the class, the teacher, she shared a testimony of how every morning she would wake up and she would pray to God and say, um, let me see how you see me. And I want to repent of the things that I need to repent of. And that involves the things that I don't know I need to repent of. And so God showed her things in her own life until it came to a really hard thing. And she had to, she's like, no, I don't want to. And then she had a testimony from that. And so I don't want to say I've been doing that religiously or doing that every morning. But a while ago, I was praying that, um, that God would show me the things I need to repent of. Cause you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy, right? Like I do a church podcast, which is more than a lot of the people my <laughs> age kids say. Um, but because of that, and and lately I've been feeling, I actually thought about this the way on the way home from work is that, that my anger and the judgment calls I make in, in small situations and the way I can let things interfere with, with how I am. It really should. It, he's, he's just been showing me, you know, your anger is a bigger problem than you thought. And I think it's hard if if someone who knew me goes to church with me might think, oh, that's kind of I wouldn't think that Sam Sam doesn't seem like that angry. He's always so nice to me or whatever. But that's the danger. That's where you get each individual is kind of going through that same thing, even if it's not anger. And if they let it fester, if I let it fester and, you know, slowly build until pretty soon, I'm not even checking myself. If if I just say, that's ah, fine, let it go. Then it breaks me down until I'm just overrun with with pride or with uh, mean thoughts about people. And pretty soon the, the spirit of God trying to talk to me is, is a little more than a quiet voice in my head that I really don't care about anymore. So that, that was a long answer to a, to a short question, but that's what I th- really think it is. It's people not following the commandments and leaning on their own understanding until they become corrupted or become bent on the things of the world. And I think that's how the church, we talk about the apostasy in the Middle Ages. That's how it started. You know, it didn't start because bad guys immediately got into power. Like the followers of Christ didn't just go, hey, these guys are in power. Let's just give them. And then those guys were like, all right, we're running with it. It's a way to control the world. There was this, 
it wasn't necessarily a slow fade and I don't know the history that well, but you know, it was good people which led to corruption um, in the church. And then pretty soon everyone was corrupted because the church was just a tool as a, it wasn't just like overnight. Otherwise no one would have become Christian. Yeah. Um, it, it leaves a big responsibility for leadership and priesthood of also members too, but currently we don't have much um, formal leadership in the church, but you can fall down a bad path of having a leader who might be leaning on his own understanding or whatever, but that can affect so many people. It's kind of a scary thought of God says how much joy that he would have and uh, how great a life you would have if you just bring, you know, one person to God, but imagine leading so many people away yeah, and how bad that would be. And so there's well, a, I, Alma talked about his feeling. He, he felt like he murdered people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's not a good thing. And so, um, yeah, it, there's a lot of responsibility to be had on everyone, but especially leadership roles and really having to humble yourself because I, I had an experience a couple of years ago at a reunion where we were in a class basically, you know, confessing our shortcomings. Um, and the first day of the, you know, confession time, it was all the priesthood. And I was thinking of what I might say, and it was all voluntary. It was, you know, whoever wants to stand up and share or, you know, who was led to. And I was like, all right, what could I share? And I came up with some things, but I realized after praying a little bit that I was like, I'm just sharing my faults so I can look good. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> that that's so dumb. Yeah. And but, you know, we have that weird dichotomy in the church where it's like, that guy's humble. I like him. And so I was like, I'm just I'm just doing it to get attention. And so I just didn't say anything that day. But then I kind of was able to turn that over to God. And um, I was like, what what am I really actually struggling with in terms of pride and what's what's making me prideful? and stuff like that. And the next day I was just in this state of humility where I was like, man, if I stand up, I'm probably going to cry and be gross looking. And, you know, who knows if I'll even make it through what I'm going to say. And so I just did it. And it was a lot, a lot more, uh, better experience in the long run. Cause I was like, yeah, I, it was not a pretty sight, you know, yeah. but and, and I was glad because no one came up and talked to me and saying like, oh, I didn't know you dealt with that. Like, how can I help you? Like the first day I was thinking maybe people will come up to me and share things and whatever. But it was just no one came. It was almost like it was nothing. But it was still a I'm struggling with this. Keep me accountable type thing. Yeah. It's almost like a reverse psychology thing where you're talking like, yeah. oh, I'll share this fault. And then people will be like, oh, that's, yeah, yeah. I relate. And then oh, that's like, a good fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but the other thing is that I don't know if you've done this too, but in those situations where I'm overcome with pride and I'm like, oh, I uh, I need to share something. It's, it's always been like the, oh, I want to share something that 
makes me look humble, but I don't want to share the actual bad. Right. Like, like in that, I've been in that situation and, and I actually kind of, everyone was not forced to share, but there was like eight of us. <laughs> so if you didn't do it, was like, and I was like, well, there's something on my heart. That's a lot worse, but I'm just going to say pride because Ooh, that'll look good. And, yeah. and it's not something I really feel that bad about. So, you know, you just go with pride and then, and then it is like a pity party. Yeah, you get your like, brownie points yeah, and like, you share it. Yes. yes. Yeah. I'm such a good Christian. <laughs> <laughs> but that comes into the, that comes into or flows into um, the oxymoron that humble yourself because you can't, you can't do it. You can't of your own, of your own doing. Um, but kind of on touching on the base of, of what we just talked about, the church being led astray or the churches and the priests and the members and, you know, everyone being led astray. Um, uh, it comes down to, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I did want to mention it, um, 23 through 28. And, um, if you have a chance to listen to restored gospel podcast and the story of the saints with Ed Turner, Andrew and I, and another one of our friends were able to go on a visit to Mr. Turner's house with his wife and his daughters and just kind of hear their testimonies and, and talk gospel. This was actually before the podcast. So I was really happy when he came on the restore gospel podcast. Cause I could hear him again. I was ready for him, but he calls 23 through 28, um, the devil's playbook. Cause it kind of illustrates the, the ways the adversary is going to use in these last days to get those churches to an apostate state, those members. And like Angie said in the beginning, I really like that is that, the apostasy starts in your heart um, individually, how he's going to target individuals. And just listing them off here, um, he's going to rage in the hearts of the, men, the children of men. He's going to make them angry with each other. That's the first way. Others, he's going to pacify. He's just going to make lazy, basically. And the words here used are all is well in Zion. Yea, Zion prospereth all is well. When we know that not everything is well in Zion, he's basically making you complacent. Um, which I don't know if we could target things in the, in the church specifically, because on an individual basis, they're all kind of different. Well, I'll get to that in a little bit. The, the third thing is he flattereth away and telleth them that there is no hell. He saith unto them, I am no devil for there is none. So he's, he's trying to convince people that um, everything is gray. Right. Much. All, all's a sham. And then the last thing is, uh, he whispereth in their ears and he, until he grasps them with his awful chains from whence there is no deliverance. So he's convincing them. He's, he's really pushing hard on their base. Oh, I would read as their conscious or their, their thoughts and just being like, you know, Hey, that sin over there. That's not so bad. That's, you know, and he's just tightening the little, the little flaxen cord around him until it's too tight to break free of. And I don't think we could necessarily name one thing, um, we, we could probably find examples of all four things in, in each of our own lives. Maybe, um, we could find different ways he's targeted different people, but as a church, I think he's really, um, used different tactics. And one of those ways has been, um, he's raged in the hearts of the children of men and he stirred them up to anger against those because I've seen it, you know, just as a little kid, people fighting within the church and, and they deem it a righteous fight because, Hey, this is, this is God's church. It's worth fighting for. And, and in a way there is, but it's not okay to cast love out in that argument or that charity because then God's not in control. You're not fighting on the, the basis of what God's called you to do. It's just been 
and anger that the devil's called you to. And I think the other one is um, he flattereth away. He's he kind of he kind of puffs us up just about what was talking in pride. He he said, hey, you got it all. Don't worry about anything. You're the you're the true church. You know what? It's all fine. Don't worry about those other souls out there. You've been baptized. You've been you know, you've been taught. It's okay for you. And that's all that really matters. And I think I think those two are really easy, easy to to see in the church. And maybe the other ones are, are pretty easy to see out in the world. But I don't know. I didn't want to spend a lot of time on that. But because um, Mr. Turner talked about it so well, and it's his experience that's in Restore Gospel podcast. If either of you guys have anything to say about it, um, jump in. But just to add something again from the visit with Ed is that he brought out um, that word pacify. And when we think of pacify, we think of the the pacifiers that babies have. And he, I'm sure he, he talked about this on the other podcast as well. But I, I think it's just so important when we're trying to think of visual, visualizations of how he's working against the church actively today is, is that pacifiers for babies, they're it's tricking the baby into thinking that it's getting nourishment, but it's not, it's not actually getting that nourishment. And, and the same thing he's doing with the church is that he's slowly mixed these things that we do, the things we say, things, I uh, just, I don't know, just stuff into our lives and says, you're getting nourishment from this. This is the way to salvation. When, it's not. It's not the real deal, and and so we just always have to, you know. I I feel like we get the theme of the chapter, and then we just say it over and over and over for like forty five minutes. But yeah. pretty much, uh, we have to constantly just be looking back to the example of Jesus and say, "Listen, I'm not up to par. How do I get up to par? You know, like how can my actions become better? How?" Um, can I not be led into temptation or it, all these different things? And, um, yeah, no, I, I really liked that insight that he gave us that, um, he's really trying to, it, it's not that he's saying this is detrimental to your soul. Why don't you try it? It's not that yeah. at all. He's saying, Hey, you're going to get some good stuff from this. And he's just, he's counterfeiting everything. And, and so you, you have to actually know God, like Sam said earlier, uh, and and do that by following his commandments and loving to know which was the, the true thing and which one's the counterfeit thing. Yeah, it shows us that we need to be very aware of truth. And I, I feel like in the church, and I could be wrong, but we don't really think about what the devil is really trying to do to us. And it's almost like this verse where it's like you know the devil's not real it's everything's fine type stuff but we really have to know truth and know the scriptures you know know them pretty well because there's the experience that jesus had of his temptations and he wasn't being tempted with come join me and we'll do fun things together it it was oh you're you're really cool like you can you can feed yourself right now like and he's tempting him with actual scripture and if christ would have fallen into that temptation then you know his ministry would be you know no, Lord. yeah ruins like his ministry is like predicated on the fact that he made no mistakes and was a perfect person so he could be a, a suitable sacrifice 
but yeah, you know, Christ knows the scriptures <laughs> very well. And so he didn't fall to the counterfeit because like Andrew said, that's, that's what the devil is constantly doing is trying to get us to follow something that looks true, that would lead us down the wrong path to destruction. So, mm-hmm. and, and the devil kind of plays a big role in all of this. So well, you talk about the counterfeit and, uh, just moving right along here into verse 39. Um, Cursed is he that putteth his trust in man, or maketh flesh his arm, or shall hearken on the precepts of men, save their precepts shall be given by the power of the Holy Ghost. Basically saying men are are the counterfeit. You know, the, the devil uses men to be his counterfeit and and entice, you know, the world to entice others. And, and we're probably going to spend the rest of the episode on this one topic, but... Um, here uh, in verse uh, 40, he's saying, you know, hey, Gentiles, be careful um, here at the last day. It's it's going to be it's going to be rough, um, but I'll be merciful unto you if you re- repent and come unto me. And then he gets into kind of the exciting part. Andrew has a verse, a couple of verses here. And and I know it's kind of a famous, a famous saying um, after this verse, but this gets into, again, the purpose of the Book of Mormon and why it's needed. He says, But behold, there shall be many at that day when I shall proceed to do a marvelous work among them, that I may remember my covenants which I have made unto the children of men, that I may set my hand again the second time to recover my people which are of the house of Israel. So, again, bringing it all the way back to the beginning when he made those covenants with Abraham and then with Isaac and then with Jacob or Israel, saying, through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Yes, Jesus came through the house of Israel. He, he came through his born of the tribe of Judah, and he sacrificed and the world is blessed in that regard. But looping it all around, he saved us from sin, and he saved us for something, which I know we've talked about before. And then at that last day, moving on to verse, jumping up again, that famous saying that's found in the 50 verses, People are going to say, God set, set his hand again, um, and we translate that or, or kind of know that that, inv- that revolves around the Book of Mormon. And then he says, thou fool shall say, a Bible, have we got a Bible, and we need no more Bible. And so they're saying, we got enough. We don't need any more. And maybe you could apply this to Joseph Smith's day a little bit, a little bit more because at that day people were like, oh, God doesn't work anymore. Miracles are done away. He doesn't speak. We've got everything we need and we're good. But still you're going to see that at today when, when you bring in the book of Mormon to the conversation, people are going to say, what's, why do we need a Bible? I, or not, why do we need a Bible? We got the Bible. We're good. So he's wrapping it all up here. I, I know you wanted to, to talk about these verses. So I'll pass it on over to you. Cause I got, I got a little bit more. I want to say about the, the later chapters, but what did you get from, or what did you have for for those verses? I just really liked his answer here. And he says in 55, know ye not that there are more nations than one? Like, uh, do you think you're the only nation in the world? <laughs> and the obvious answer is no. I mean, you're like, oh, right. There are more people. And then, which begs the question, okay, well then why didn't God speak to them? Why didn't God care about them? And you're like, well, the God... I know does care about them. And so just natural reason brings you to, okay, well then he must've dealt with them in some manner. And, uh, I, I don't know. I, I've can not confronted, but I, I talked to a friend about this who 
who doesn't uh, believe in the Book of Mormon. And um, he he said pretty much this, like, I don't understand why we need the Book of Mormon. I mean, like, we have the Bible. It explains salvation. It explains who Jesus is. And sure, but, like, why do we need the Book of Mormon? And my answer was, well, you don't necessarily need the Book of Mormon, but you don't necessarily need the Bible to to get to know God. In in Second Timothy, Paul says, "Thou hast known from a, a young age the holy scriptures, which has led you to salvation. Made you wise unto salvation. You made you wise unto salvation. Pretty much the scriptures they had there, they didn't have the New Testament then, obviously in Paul's day." That Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John hadn't even written the books. Yeah, I mean, nobody had copies. All they had was probably the Torah, you know, and that was like all. Paul says that was enough. I mean, that was enough to lead you to salvation. Okay, so he's saying, Paul's saying that we don't actually need the New Testament, huh? Well, okay, if we don't need the New Testament, then why does all of Christianity use it? Because it talks about Jesus more. I mean, it's just another representation of who he is. I think it's really easy for us to understand this. If you are in love with a person, but you don't know them very well, and you want to know more about them, you want to know, you want to talk to them, you want to get to know them, you want to hear stories, all, all this different stuff. You don't just say, okay, I've heard four stories about you. I don't want to hear anything more. Because that yeah. is what my love covers. No, if it's unconditional love, if it's the the real love in your heart, you're going to say, I want everything. And so yeah. you should be accepting of more stuff that comes up than saying the same stuff as the Bible. I don't know about you, but I only love the stuff about my wife that she told me before we got married. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh. And, and also, yeah. God only worked in a specific time in the Middle East, and that's all we got, and that's all he's ever going to do. So, yeah, well, good. I uh, would want more responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and like you said, like, why would you just not delight in the words of God, even if we don't learn anything new per se? We could either gain additional insight, a different perspective, or just like God spoke this. Isn't that great? Like, or we, we love hearing other people's testimonies. Like this is another testimony of people in a different country that, you know, it does interconnect with the Bible quite a bit, but it's like, there's this whole another story that is just good to hear. It's good news and we should share it. And it's, it's not that we are trying to trample on the Bible. It's yes, the Bible is integral and this is another witness. Like it, this is, something else and it's plainer in the times of the old testament was written like we have more jesus references in old testament time in the book of mormon so that's cool like you know they were well, i'm gonna say where yeah i'm go gonna ahead. i i i think we all are the same understand that yeah you don't on an individual level i can agree that really it comes down to your relationship for salvation it comes down to your relationship with god and you can get that through the bible and I know, and I, we're really good friends, so I know what, what you mean. But um, there is more to the Book of Mormon than just it's another testament of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, and it's answered here in in eighty one on. Um, you say, well, why do you why do you need the Book of Mormon? What why do you you know why do you need how to why do you need the record on 
how to obtain salvation because you want to be saved, right? How, why do you need the Book of Mormon? Because it's the key to heaven on earth. That's what it is. It's it's and that's maybe a problem that the the church or the restoration movement has failed to teach. Uh, we were just talking a few, maybe a week ago about how good the new episode of the Restore Gospel podcast was because it was on a restoration, a noun or a verb. And they talked about how it's a lot of times we referred to it as a noun when really it's always been a verb. And here's a verse there in 87 about um, it being a verb, but I'm going to start in 81 because this tells us why the Book of Mormon. So it's saying, we just read God's moving his hand for the second time. He's bringing forth the record of the Nephites and the Lamanites. And he's talking about those people. What, you know, the, this book is supposed to go to the Lamanites and he's talking about them. He says, and then shall the remnant of our seed, Nephi's talking, the Nephites and Lamanites know concerning us, how that we came from Jerusalem, that they are descendants of the Jews and the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be declared among them. Wherefore they shall be restored unto the knowledge of their fathers, talking about Nephi and Lehi, knowing that Jesus was the Christ. They, I mean, they just mentioned it in, in chapter 11, how we talk of Christ, we preach of Christ, we have a hope of Christ. Um, they're restored unto a knowledge of their fathers and also to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, which was had among their fathers. And then they'll rejoice, for they shall know that it is a blessing unto them from the hand of God. And the scale, their scales of darkness shall begin to fall from their eyes, and many generations shall not pass away among them, save they shall be a white and a delightsome people. It shall come to pass that the Jews which are scattered also shall begin to believe in Christ, and they shall begin to gather in upon the face of the land. And as many as shall believe in Christ shall also become a delightsome people. And so you have this book, this Book of Mormon, which is the key to heaven on earth because it's going to the Lamanites who the book is for, and they take off like a rocket, like none other, because they know the covenant that God made to them is still valid. It's still, they're not cut off yet. And they bring it to the Jews, the Jews who are supposed to be the people that God works through, that is going to be a blessing to all the people are coming and they're gathering in 87 ish shall come to pass. The Lord God shall commence his work among all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people to bring about the restoration of his people upon the earth. And we've talked about that. The restoration began. Oh, actually, I don't know if we've talked about it, but in, in the restoration episode on restore gospel podcast was the restoration began once Eve took a bite of that apple, once Adam took a bite of that apple and man fell, there was a plan of restoration involved. And here's the end. I don't know the crescendo of it. Maybe you could say Christ coming was the crescendo of it. And, and now we're all this dominoes falling from his, his work, but you have individual salvation. Yes. But here you have all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, um, part of the restoration coming together as salvation of the world. Um, not just on an individual level. And that's what's I've been reading the Book of Mormon. Zoe and I have been going through and we've been reading the scriptures together and we kind of talk about them and um, she's not here to defend herself. So I don't I don't say too much. And and I say this with all the love I I can um, is that and she'll tell you that um, she has a little bit of trouble when she reads the the scriptures. And and then I because I've been studying it a little bit. Um, or have some insight can be like, oh, though, that's what happens. And she's she gets a little frustrated because she's like, well, I didn't get that at all from the chapter. That didn't make sense to me. So I don't understand why you know this and I don't get it. And it's hard for me. But a year or two years ago or three years ago, I was in the same exact boat. Like I could read something from Isaiah or and I still read stuff from Isaiah and don't really understand it. But I could read the 
the Book of Mormon and, you know, not know what to say. And that words, those answers had been verbatim in my head to answer like, oh, well, what's the Book of Mormon? Oh, well, it's another testimony of Jesus Christ. Like, you know, you get that, you get the little subheader under there and then you got the rehearsed answer. But once you understand that it's a restoration of the house of Israel and through that a restoration of the whole world, all nations, kindred, songs, coming back, Christ, he's setting everything up to recover his people, to win the war that, you know, that started with the fall of man. It's, it's a message of hope, whereas mainstream evangelical Christianity might not have that full message of, well, if you didn't, if you didn't say the right prayer, if you didn't say the sinner's prayer, or if you didn't, you're damned, or, you know, your baby was born, he didn't have chance to get baptized, you're damned, or, you know, um, it is a message of hope and it's a message of, of love and the love that the father has that he's going to win. He's going to win in the end. Maybe this might just sum it up and it's really short, but in 86 and as many as shall believe in Christ shall also become a delightsome people. And that's just the end all, you know, like you're looking for some happiness in your life. Look to Christ. Uh, we've talked a lot about him being the, uh, the, the true to Satan's counterfeit lost the word for a second, but he is, the, he is the true joy. And, and so if you are in a place we talked about people who are um, are broken, who are hurting, who are um, in a place where they they feel like they can't help other people. Look to Christ, and, and He'll carry you through those ways, through those times, and and um, in those ways that you need. I think that's a really good summation of the chapter. You know, like Sam saying the importance of the Book of Mormon, bringing this this gospel to. To the tribe of Joseph and and ultimately to the to the rest of the world again, we're supposed to bring that joy back. You know, we're supposed to the gospel is joy, it is love, and it is peace, and it's all these different things that that's God's promised if we if we look to Him. And so, you know, if if you come away from this episode with anything, look to Christ, look to something. Uh, someone who will better you and the only one who will better you is the person that is is perfect you know and my summary is at the very end of the chapter and it says like once this restoration is happening and this day when we're restored 98 and says wherefore all things which have been revealed since the children of men shall in the, at that day be revealed and satan shall have power over the hearts of the children no more for a long time it's just yeah. Satan will lose yeah. and that that's pretty much it. And our hearts will be gods and we'll just have this great understanding of everything. And that that's just a great hope to have. And so there, there's no reason to lose hope. We, uh, we're going to wrap it up here coming up on an hour. So we want to thank you guys for listening again. Two things. First, we we just want to reiterate that we love questions, comments, uh, criticisms, guest requests, anything you got, uh, we'll take. Second, if any of you need an ARC, I know a guy. <laughs> you don't have to laugh at that. Leave. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you, guys. God bless. We'll catch you on the next episode.